just uh, never know. We're going through a book of James, the letter, uh, in the New Testament. We are almost done. We have this week and next week, and we will be finished. It's kind of flown by for me, um, just uh, all the lessons that we've had. Today's an interesting lesson. It's about waiting. It's about patience. Um, at first glance, when I look down through the scripture, which is James 5, 7 through 11, it kind of looked like to me that all the things in that scripture didn't really have anything to do with one another. And the more I studied through it this week, I thought they do have everything to do with one another. And so I hope that I'll be able to do it justice this morning and help you to understand this passage. It's, it's about patience. It's about hope. Hope can make a huge difference in your life. Um, if you're living today without any hope of the future, if you're living today without any hope of eternity, that changes the way you live. It changes the way that you react to things that happen to you. It changes the, the decisions that you'll make if you have a life without hope. Hope makes a big difference. It even makes a big difference to rats. Did you know that? No, it does. There's a study um, that was done several years ago, an experiment on endurance, and it was conducted, con uh, conducted by the University of California in Berkeley, and the experiment involved placing field rats in a tub of water where they were forced to swim until they grew exhausted and finally drowned. And during the first experiment, the re researchers discovered that on the average these rats were capable of swimming for over seven hours before drowning. That's a lot. It's a long time. I don't know about you, but doing that experiment, that'd be, I'm going to wait seven hours for these rats to swim, and then they come to their end. Um, the second experiment, though, is what interested me. It was conducted exactly like the first one with one exception. This time, when a rat was getting too exhausted to swim any longer, the researchers would remove the rat from the tub of water for three seconds. Count it. One, two, three. And then they put the, the rat back into the water. Do you think it made any difference? They put the rat back into the water to continue swimming, and these rats were able to swim for almost 20 hours for just three seconds. It nearly tripled their life expectancy in this experiment. Hope makes a difference. The researchers concluded that the rats in the second group were able to swim so much longer than the first because of that one factor, hope. They're swimming, they're swimming, they're swimming. Then they get out for three seconds and they think, huh, hope, I can get out of here. And then they go back in, swimming, 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 swimming. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. You ever feel like you're just just treading water in this life? You're, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and I got to go some more, go up some more, and you don't think you can go anymore, and then you get three seconds of hope. You get a glimpse, just a, just a peek of what maybe life might be like beyond this life. Just a glimpse of it. And that helps you continue on. It helps you continue to live this life. How much sadder would it be to live life without that? Without that three seconds? 
You know people in your own lives, in your own families. You have people that you live right alongside of every single day that live that life without hope. Why do you think that Australia is one of the top five leaders in suicide in this world? Why do you think that is? It's because of this factor. As we live in a world, a culture, a country that has lost its hope. I'm not talking about the, the hope of getting a new car. I'm not talking of the hope of buying a, a, a new house. I'm talking about the hope that lasts for eternity. If you don't have that hope this morning, perhaps you should think about why and think about what that does to your life and your quality of living because it makes a difference. One of the things that separates Christianity from all other religions and philosophies around the world is this aspect of hope. We have a hope for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. And James tells us in this passage that we have to wait for it. We can't just get it like that, but we have to be patient. This art of waiting. Patient anticipation. Um, patience as you wait for hope to come. In verses 7 and 8, if you look in the, the scriptures, it says, Be patient. Be, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. What he's saying there is be patient. There is hope. Hope is coming, but it's kind of like the farmer who plants. He plants the seeds, he waters the seeds, the sun comes up and heats the soil, and the seeds break open and begin to, to grow to new life. But you, when you put the, the seed in the soil, do you have a mature plant? No. But we live in a world that goes around and buys mature plants, don't we? When people build a house nowadays, they don't want to plant their flowers. They don't want to plant the bushes. They don't want to plant a, a tree. What do they want? They spend thousands and thousands of dollars for what? Mature plants. Because they want what? They want the, the wow factor now. They want be able, people to see it and enjoy it right now. They don't want to wait 10 years for that mature tree to grow and grow and grow. They don't want to wait for that row of bushes to become a hedge. They want the instant hedge. You go to the, the nurseries, which I've done you know, this year quite a bit, go to the nurseries and look at plants. I like to do that. You go to the nurseries, there's a huge section of big plants because that's what people want. James says, if you really want true hope, hope that lasts, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait for it. One day a man was praying and he said, bless me with patience. Not opportunities to be patient, <laughs> but patience. So even in his prayer, he was what? Not being patient. He's not willing to wait. You know, we pray and we want to be able to have patience, but we want it patience right now. That doesn't make any sense, does it? We want it right now. What God wants us to, to learn is when we go through opportunities, when we go through challenges to, to work and grow that patience, just like a farmer grows a seed. 
you know, grow that patience. In our text today, James talks about us being patient as we wait for Jesus to come back, as we wait for that hope of the future. We are to be patient in the midst of a life that is sometimes very, very tough. And that is very, very hard to do. But oftentimes we think of patience as inaction. Don't you think that when you think, oh, be patient. I know as a kid when my grandfather used to say, be patient, Rob. It's okay. You're just going to have to wait. I often, the picture in my mind was of sitting down and doing nothing. But patience isn't like that. You, you look at patience, it's an active patience. Let me ask you, when a farmer plants a seed, does he just go inside the, the house and, and wait? Does he just go inside the house and six months later he goes out and he can harvest? So he, for six months he just kind of sits around, right? No. What happens? There's work to be done, right? There's watering to be done. There's weeding to be done. Um, he mends fences. He protects his field from, from animals that might come and steal it away. There's work to be done within that patience, within that waiting. So when he says, you know, hope is coming, just wait. He's not saying just wait and do nothing. He's saying there's a lot still to be done. You have people in your life that you want them to experience the hope of the future and eternity. Do you know those people? There's work to be done. Sharing, sharing with them about that hope. Loving them. Coming alongside of them and, and treating them like Jesus would want us to treat each other. There's lots of work to be done. Caring for one another. Proclaiming the good news. James is saying, get ready and wait. There's work to be done. There's plenty of opportunities that happen even when we're waiting. The early church lived in constant expectation of this hope. Um, and it was something they preached about a lot. If you look in the Bible and, and do any kind of reading of the early church, they mentioned Jesus coming back all, all the time. But did he come back? No. But yet they lived with this expectation that he would at any point in time in their life and so it changed the way that they lived that hope of Jesus coming back changed what they did they didn't put off the important things in their life in the early church they they went about uh, loving and caring for their communities and loving and caring for each other that motivated them because they thought that if Jesus was to come back at any point in time they wanted they wanted Jesus to find them loving other people and doing the things that they needed to be doing. James mentions this idea of the judge in verse 9. He talks about this patient disposition, this, this idea of how we're supposed to treat each other um, while we're waiting. And what's he say in verse 9? Somebody want to read that for us? Are you in the, the passage? So he says, while you're waiting, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to treat one another? Don't grumble. I think some passages say grumble. We don't even use that word anymore, do we? Stop grumbling at me. No, we don't use that. But basically what that means is don't complain about each other. 
Don't get mad at each other. Love and support one another. We'll get to that in a minute. But it doesn't make sense to have this hope of Jesus coming back, you know, and we're sitting there waiting and us all fighting about it as, as we're waiting. It's been said that the, the Christian army is the only one that shoots its own soldiers. And what that means is we have a tendency, while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we have a tendency to kind of infight and not be very nice to one another and, and grumble towards each other. Uh, James addresses this in verse 9. He says, don't grumble about each other, brothers or sisters. These believers, they were grumbling against one another. They were criticizing one another. And I don't know why when things are going wrong in our lives, but we lash out at each other. This is one of my biggest frustrations, and I've done it myself, so I know how bad this is. But one of the things that we are in the habit of doing as Christians is when things go wrong in our lives, we, we either lash out at one another or we totally, we totally leave one another. And we don't want to be around other people who would maybe love us and encourage us. Now, this happens all the time. Somebody's having a hard time in their life. There's a struggle in their life. And all of a sudden they think, oh, I can't be around those Christian people. They might love me. They might support me. Is that, that's, that's how silly it is. If anything, we are the people, we are the community that we need to be around when things are going wrong. Because we are the people that will most understand what's happening because we've lived life. We've made all the, the decisions and choices and we've made wrong ones and we've made mistakes and we've learned from those things. And so there's a lot of love and appreciation for when things go wrong. But oftentimes... When things go wrong in our life, what do we do? We either blame God or the church, and we just kind of leave. And we think, oh, I don't want to be around those people. I don't want to be around those kind of people. That's a lie. We often think that we're better off alone. We don't want to burden those people with our stuff. That's a lie, by the way. I want your stuff. I want to walk through stuff with you guys. And I hope that when my life goes upside down and, and, and is really terrible, I hope that you will want to do the same for me. That you will want to walk with me when my life is terrible as well. That's what the community is all about. And that's what James is saying. As we wait, for goodness sake, don't grumble at each other. Don't criticize one another. James is warning us. He even says... James mentions this idea of judgment. He says, James mentions the judge is not far away. He's standing at the door. He's kind of like saying, you know, you guys are talking bad about one another, but guess who's listening? God is up there listening. He's seeing the way you're treating one another, and it's, he's not very happy. It reminds me of when my boys were in the same room in Alaska. Uh, they were sharing this very tiny room, and they were very good friends. However... Sometimes they would grumble against one another. And oftentimes I would walk down. There was a long hallway before I would get to their room. So I would hear things going on. So I'd slowly walk down the hallway. And I'd just get to the doorway and I wouldn't peek in. I would just sit there at the door and I'd listen. And I'd see what was happening. And I'd get the full story. Who started it? <laughs> Who was to blame? 
what they were saying bad towards one another. And then I'd walk in and I'd go, hey, guys. And they go, whoop. Dad's here. And guess what? They'd be so nice to one another. Not knowing I had heard the previous five minutes. They'd be so nice and we'd sit down and we'd talk about how we should treat one another. Talk about how God wants us to love each other and how he wants us to encourage one another. That's what James is saying. He's saying, God's walking down the hallway, guys, and he's hearing it all. He knows who started it. He knows who's to blame. He knows who's gotten their heart hurt because of the situation, and he knows all of it. So he says, stop it. Just stop it. Treat each other differently. Make it different. He says we need to love each other. To love somebody is not just a strong feeling. It's not some airy-fairy thing that comes and goes on a whim. Loving someone is a choice. It's a decision that we make. It's a choice. If love were only a feeling, then there'd be no basis for the promise to love each other forever. Because we can't promise a feeling, can we? You know, get up in front of God and in front of everybody and you make those marriage vows. And you go, I promise that I'll love you forever. Well, you can't make that promise if love is just a fleeting feeling. Because I can't, what we should say, if that's what we really believe love is, and in a wedding ceremony we should say, well, as long as I have this feeling, I will love you. And then when the feeling passes, I'm sorry, I just can't love you anymore. That's how it lives out in our world, isn't it? Number one reason for people getting divorced, I just don't love them anymore. When they really need to be saying is, I have chosen not to love them anymore. Because love is a choice. It's something that we choose to do. We're committed to it or we're not. When you stop being committed to it, you feel like you don't love them anymore. I, I admit that, but it starts with choices. It starts with our decisions. And we need to have the choice to love one another. To love one another, it's not a nice idea or suggestion. It's a command. John 13, 34, and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, he says. What's the commandment? Love God and love each other. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Your love for one another will prove the, to the world that you're my people, that you're my disciples. So the defining factor that Jesus says will, will tell people that you're Christians is what? It's your love for one another, how you treat one another. If you're not treating each other well, people are going to come up with the wrong idea about who God is. And how he loves. There's way too much griping and complaining and criticizing going on in the church. The last time I checked, it's not exactly how to show love for someone. It's the way we treat one another. That's how the world will know. Our love is like our faith. You know, we talked about faith and works not long ago. This idea of... You know, I, I believe, but your belief means nothing unless it what? Is backed up by your actions. The same with love. 
Don't tell me that you love me. Show me. I know that in relationships, boy and girl relationships, people would much rather you show them that you love them rather than just say, I love you all the time. Because those words eventually become empty if they're not backed up with what? Actions. They become empty. And that's what James says to us. Don't be grumbly towards one another. Love each other. But true love. The choice of being loving towards one another. And then lastly in verses 10 and 11, he says, do it like these people. He says, I've got some people that these people are great. They knew how to get this done. They knew how to wait. They knew how to, to live their Christian life. Even though things were really, really tough for them, they knew how to wait for this hope, and they were uh, treated each other and, and everyone else with love and concern. And James remind us, reminds us to look at those heroes of the faith. In verse 10, somebody read verse 10 for me. As an example, as an example, brethren, suffering and patience, taking prophets. As an example, he says, take the prophets. Now you tell me what prophets were. I know we don't often talk about prophets at church, but what are what was a prophet? Right. It was a. It was an individual usually. In the Old Testament, many, many years ago, that God chose to bring the, what did you just say? Yeah, to bring a message that uh, sometimes people weren't willing to hear that message, were they? Sometimes the messages were tough. Sometimes the messages were like, hey, get, get your stuff right, guys. And so sometimes these guys were not well-received. You know, many of these guys that... James is talking about, they would share the message of God, but you know, not many people would listen, and they would persecute these guys. Sometimes they'd drive them out of town. They'd throw stones at them. They'd try to kill them because they were trying to tell the message of God. And so he says, look at guys like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah. Look at these guys. Look at their journey. They had a they had it right. They were following God. They were doing what God wanted them to do and saying what God wanted them to say. And yet they, they were patient and they held forth this hope for the future. Um, they did it right. So my, uh, my challenge to you is um, in your Bibles this afternoon or this week, go back and look some of those prophets up. Look up the story of Moses. He didn't have a very, very great life. There were some highlights, but there were also lots of times of trying, lots of uh, trying times and suffering. Look at Elijah. Look at Elisha. Um, look at Jeremiah. These, these guys, they did it right, James says. So if you want to start living this life of waiting patiently for this hope that's to come, look at those guys. They did it right. Part of his point is that God does not help us avoid suffering. Sometimes the suffering comes because of our faith, because of our service. So it's not like God is up there, 
you know, saying, okay, well, I know it's life is getting hard for you, Aaron, but, you know, I'm going to take you out of that suffering. I'm just going to make your life really easy. No troubles, no worries. That's not how God works. God wants us, as we go through struggles, he knows that they're going to be part of our life. He wants us to learn from those things. He wants us to be, be reliant on him during those things. So it's not the point that he helps us avoid suffering. It's the point that suffering comes and we have the choice of how to handle that. It becomes part of our life. James continues with this idea in verse 11 when he says, uh, We count those blessed who endured and who have heard, you have heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and he is merciful. Everybody know the story of Job? Job, one of the Old Testament guys who lost everything, lost it all. His family, his wife, his children, all his possessions, all everything. He was totally destitute. And if anybody could curse God and die, <laughs> which he was, his friends were telling them, you might as well just curse God and die. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? If your life was so bad that your friends were actually going, yeah, your life is pretty bad. You might as well just die. That would be pretty bad if the life was like that. And that's what his friends were telling him. But did he do that? No. He was distraught and emotional, and he was really, really down because he had experienced all this loss. But it says that he endured. He continued relying on God. He continued his faith in God. And if there's anybody who had patience and hope for the future, it would have been Job. Because he thought, I think I know what Job felt. How much worse could it get? <laughs> have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in that time in your life and you think, really, how much how much worse could, could life get than right now? And that's where Job was. And when you're at that point, every single thing that's a good thing becomes hope. A double cheeseburger becomes hope to a guy who hasn't eaten for a long, long time, right? That's what we're saying. When you're so down, when you're so out, and your life just seems like it can't get any worse, the little things become victories in our life. Getting up and having a nice coffee in the morning when your life has been terrible. I remember uh, when my dad passed away a few years ago and I was in the hospital on Thanksgiving Day as he passed away, I felt that. I felt, how could my life get any worse than this moment where this man who I love is passing away? How could this get any worse? And I went, sat down by myself in a hospital cafeteria and had Thanksgiving dinner for myself the bite of turkey was a victory. <laughs> the little bit of cranberry sauce that I got on the side, it tasted so much better than it probably really tasted because it was a victory. Every little thing becomes hope. Every little thing becomes victory when our life is destitute. And that's where Job was. So he's a perfect example of hope and patience. Yeah, I didn't feel good the next day either. 
<laughs> or the next day or the next day or the next day. But as time goes on and my patience grew, I've been able to come through that time in my life. And so did Joe. Matter of fact, says in his story, if you go back and read in the book of Job, uh, that's a great thing. It's not a, not a long book. If you read at the end of the story, what happens? He's not only gets restored all his possessions and all his family and his wife, uh, he, it says that he got more than he had before. And I can't believe that he didn't feel just a total victory and total hope in his life. And he, he held that all close to his heart, I'm sure. So look at his... Look at the examples that, that James talks about. Look at their lives. Look how they live their life. And you will, uh, you will gain some wisdom. James encourages us to read about those uh, guys who've gone before us, who've done it well. And he says, basically, he says, follow those guys. Not, don't just read about them. I oftentimes, like years ago when I was teaching more scripture, I would oftentimes go into the school and um, we would just tell these old stories about these guys in the Old Testament. And sometimes the kids would go, why are we learning this story? And I would go, you're learning this story because these guys did, did it well. And these are the things that you need to put in your life to do it well. So it's not just about all these old stories about all the, the guys that did wonderful things. It's about... Why did they do wonderful things? How come they were good guys? How come God thought that they were good guys? Well, they were good guys because of the choices that they made, because of the way they lived their life. And we can do that too. But if it's just a bunch of old stories, then that's why the Bible becomes boring. The Bible becomes boring because you're just reading stories. But if you're actually asking yourself, well, what is it about this guy? That made him successful. Why was Moses so successful? Why was Job? How come Job came out on top in the end? Well, you go read. Read about his life. You'll quickly find that maybe there's some things in those lives that you can start doing in your life. And I bet it will make a difference. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's this, uh, this, that's this kind of th this idea that we are to follow uh, Others who have done it well. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, Paul says, you should imitate me just as I what? Just as I imitate Jesus. Paul wasn't saying, I am great, so you just need to do everything that I do. He's saying, I follow Jesus. I try and do what I, I can. I try to, to imitate him the best I can. So can you follow me as I follow Jesus? That's this idea. I'll just close with this one story that might illustrate this point a little bit. Back in the, the 1940s, um, there was a guy by the name of Will Hewton, and he became, he was a preacher, and he became the first, I think the first president, or a president of Moody Bible Institute. And uh, he played a large role in the conversion of, of an agnostic man. And he had, this, this man was contemplating suicide. He was contemplating ending his own life because he didn't see any hope in the world. He didn't see uh, why he should even be around. And 
the skeptic was desperate, and he decided that if he could find one minister who lived his faith, that he would listen to him. And so he hired a private detective to watch Hewton. And when the investigator's report came back, it revealed that this preacher's life was above reproach, that the things that he talked about, he did, and the things that he believed in, he did. The people, the way he loved, he loved in word and deed. And so the, the private investigators came back and said, this guy's for real. He walks the walk. Uh, he may talk the talk, but he walks the walk. And so the agnostic went to Hutton's church, and the very first Sunday that he went, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And later, um, his own daughter went to Moody Bible Institute um, when, the, when he was a president there. Um, it makes a difference who you follow. It makes a difference on who you listen to. It makes a difference on how you follow and who you follow. So just as a, a, a lasting uh, little encouragement, there are many examples that we can follow. Some are famous. Others are just ordinary, everyday people. But choose the right person to follow. Follow somebody who's following Jesus, not just somebody who's a good person or somebody who you think is great. But follow somebody. The secret is finding somebody who's following Jesus and imitating Jesus. Follow them. Even Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not saying doing everything I do, because he was far from perfect, but follow him, follow him, he said, follow me as I follow Jesus. None of us are perfect, um, far from it, but as we want to live this life of hope, this idea of putting hope back into your life and being patient, follow somebody who's following Jesus Christ. So James tells us to be patient, anticipate, treat each other well, and imitate the right people. It's that simple. So let me say that again. Anticipate hope. Anticipate Jesus coming. Keep working. Treat each other really, really well. Love each other. And imitate the right people. Because a lot of times we get in trouble when we imitate the wrong people. We start living like someone that isn't a follower of Jesus. So we're going to have some uh, snackaroons. So work on that a little bit this week. Take your, uh, your Bible app home. Go through that, that lesson again and maybe make some notes. Maybe make some choices on how we can live a little bit better waiting patiently for the hope that is coming. So let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll have some snacks. Hey, God, thank you for today. Thank you for James, who uh, <coughs> is so good about putting putting things that are sometimes very complex into a simple message. And we're thankful for that. Thankful that we have our Bibles and we thankful that we have this message from you. Um, just go with us, guide us, give us time to, uh, to be with you this week. Uh, help us not to get so busy that we forget about you and our relationship with you. Um, help us to love each other well and uh, to do the best that we can do to be patient for the hope that is coming. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen.